Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are coming to you live on a couple of places. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, X slash Twitter, Instagram. We are also coming to you later on a bunch of different uh, places, uh, podcast places, uh, Spotify. Yep. Uh, we're what? What else? We're being broadcast yeah, on, at pep rallies. On, Adrian, yeah. let's go. We're being you bo- gotta stop at, doing this, Pete. This whole at, thing where you rush rallies. along the podcast—it's not fun. There are things we need to talk about here. For example, if you are listening through Google Podcasts, and I know a bunch of people are listening to our podcast through Google Podcasts, um, stop doing that. That's going away at the end of March. (laughs) So you're not going to be able to do it anymore. But we are available on literally every other podcast platform. So please go there. Check it out. We would love to uh, keep talking. Find a new home. It's time to shake it up. Yeah. and Or shake it off, as Taylor Swift might Uh. say. Gee, that is very topical in oh, so many ways. One of the other things that Taylor Swift might say is thank you to her Patreon supporters. And that's a thing that we also do. Once a month, we say a thank you to anybody who supports us at the $5 and above level. I will mention you can support us at $2 and up, and you get a ton of bonuses that we'll talk about after we read this list of names because Pete's crawling out of his skin because he has to read stuff. So right. let's kick it off with a big thank you to Oidis Larson, Aaron C. Hollis. Adam DeRose. Adam Marks. Adriel Moreland. Elena Fontenot. Amanda Harris. Andrew Primo. Ashy G. Wow. Beer Cat PhD. Carrie Matthews. Chris Leatherman. Christina Jaramillo. Christina Rensfield. Chris Terlizzi. Clemens Luer. Dan Snow. Daniel Cabral. Daniel Fuentes. Daniel Warden. Closing out the Dandies with Danny Heck. Debbie Gloom. Dennis Scott. Derek Mainhart. Doug Sutaway. Dylan L.J. Eduardo Martinez. Emmett Quish. Enrique Chooms. Uh, Gerard de Villiers. Ian Rainey. Ian Thomas. Isaac Carter. Jake Fry. James Cottley. Jason Donahue. Jeffrey Whaley. John George. John Anderson. Jonathan Jong. Jonathan McCool. Joshua W. Broxon. Joshua Wright. Julian Lobato. Casey Newhaven. Kelby. <laughs> Kevin Clonrock. Kieran Broderick. Cody Thomas. Lance Kabitsky. Leewana Thomas. Luke Asink. Mad Max Pliskin. Wow, so many interests there. Matt Tice. <laughs> Matthew C. Hernandez. Matthew DePalma. Michael McAuliffe. Michael Tillman. Nelson Kelso Martinez. Nick G. Nick Drayson. Official CBC chef, Brett Macris, a.k.a. Straight Bullies. Omnia Soul Art. Oren Dix. Pedro A. Wrangle. Provocative Ambulance, my favorite. 
Rev Mikey. Robert Pettenope. Roxanne Tyler, my mom, shouts. I never get to say her name. Uh, thanks, Justin's mom. Sarah Schottmuller. Sarah Schaefer. Scott Carpenter. Scott England. Stanley. Tamila Rush. Taylor Bryan. The Big Flood. The Twelve Panch. The Victor Perez. <laughs> Will Buchanan. William Leach. Zachary Bachman. Zika's Viral Comics. Uh, thank you, everybody on that list who supports the podcast. For real, it costs a lot of money to do this, and we would not be able to do it without all of your generous support. Uh, for everybody, though, as I mentioned, $2 and up, you get access to our very active, very lively Patreon Slack, which is a lot of fun to oh, hang yeah. out in. You Chatty. also get our back catalog of podcasts going all the way back to 2011 through the end of 2023. That's thousands of podcasts, many of them that are not available on podcast providers anymore. So definitely please support that. We would appreciate it at any level you can do. Um, and we've got a lot of stuff to get through today, but we've got two great guests here. The first one I'm going to bring in as an old friend of the podcast. He used to yeah. hang out with us and chat back in the day. We haven't seen him in a good long while. I won't mention before we bring him in, he is out in L.A. dealing with the floods, managed to log in on his phone, so we're fingers crossed this is all going to work, but we're very Literally, to see him anyway. power out, and he's out oh, here ready to talk comics. Love to But see he has a new book called That's Some Business You're In, which is on Zoop right now. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, he's gone. <laughs> just, <laughs> just as I was about to click oh, and he disappeared wow. for a little Since section. We started oh, the man. intro. That's oh, geez. Wait, he's back. He's back. He's back. Okay, Wait. here we go. Bob Fingerman. Hey! The elusive Bob Fingerman, everybody. Yeah. 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 I tempted fate earlier today. Friends from uh literally across across the oceans were saying are you okay with the la weather and i said yeah i'm fine and then i just lost my power an hour ago so there you go man never tempt fate never tempt (laughs) fate like it's not that bad and then they're like i might lose my garage and i'm like (laughs) (laughs) at a minute yeah uh well listen we're not here to talk about the weather we're here to talk about the news as they say and the big news is that you've got the soup up for that some business you're in this is currently you have 23 days left on the crowdfunding campaign you're asking for five thousand dollars and are currently at fourteen thousand dollars four hundred and eighty eight which is awesome Uh, There's still stretch goals and other things to go, which is very exciting. Uh, But if you can, it looks like maybe you're a little frozen here. Uh, But if you can, uh, talk about the book. Talk about the inspiration behind it, which is your life. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, can you you hear me? Am I breaking up or or are we all good? No, man. Uh, We can kind of hear you in and out. Like it's a little fuzzy. Yeah. Oh boy! Yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to call it, Bob? We'll call here. Tell you what. For anybody listening, anybody watching, Bob, thank you for trying. Thank you for logging in. We want to talk to you about this book. I will say, I've read through a good yes. chunk of it, and it is a wild story. So, great. so awesome. let's have you back on next week if we can. If things come down, we'll talk about the book. It'll be awesome. Then sound good? 
right. Next week uh, it should just be earthquakes, which is easy. To, uh, no, don't don't do don't do, don't don't do that out there. Oh, don't. He just God, said don't tempt fate. He just don't said tempt fate. What are you? That, doing? I'm reverse tempting fate. You're saying a bad thing, so it's not bad. He said uh, a good thing, and then it was bad. I don't know. I don't know. That's oh, how fate man. works. Uh, you're anyway, fun. in the you're meantime, playing. we will have Bob on next week because really we do love talking to him, and it's been a good long while. But the book, which I'll plug again, is called "That's Some Business You're In." It's on Zoop now. It is crowdfunded. And just to so get a little good. plug here, if you, for whatever reason, don't listen to next week's podcast, is it is his whole life in comics, wild stories from back of the day running through the current era. And Bob Figurin is a guy who knows basically everything about every era of comics you can imagine. So, again, I've read through a good chunk of it, and it is some wild, awesome stories. So uh, yeah, we'll talk about really that good. more the next week, but don't worry. We still have an amazing guest for you this week who I'm very excited to have on the show to talk about his new book that is out today from Abrams book called Fall Through. Ladies and gentlemen, Nate Powell. Hello. Hey, welcome. Hey, welcome. Nate Powell. Hey there. How's it hey. going? And you're oh contending with a light breeze outside, right? <laughs> yeah. I will be reverse tempting fate all night long. So whatever <laughs> calamity may be required, I'm here to, to tempt it. Okay, right. yeah, right. oh, I appreciate love you text. taking that bullet for us. Uh, well, like first of all, I want to mention I love the stack stand-up of books behind you. That's great. Uh, yeah. Good set dressing over there. Not yeah. to take your job, Pete. Pete usually talks. Yeah, about man. What? Now I got nothing to talk to him about. <laughs> he has That's tons of awesome posters behind him. Man. Yeah, I, I love the nerd wall you got going on back there, Nate. Can't go wrong. Got to have yeah. the nerd wall. Well, is there let me a... ask you this, though. Is that a nerd wall or is that a cold cool dude wall because one of the <laughs> things no that ties thing. into this there is no <laughs> I mean, what are you trying to do here alex what, what i'm trying to do about? here is this book fall through is I, I don't think it's exactly based on your life but it's inspired by events of your life and you were in the punk scene and traveling around for a good long while. So I'm just wondering if those are like really cool posters or if uh, like some lame. of them are, I mean, like, yeah, a lot of them are, are just flyers from various, you know, shows that were meaningful to me. A couple are, you know, uh, like landmark shows before my time. And then, you know, I have like some random stuff, like when I was 13 and hadn't published a comic yet, uh, before actually drawing the first issue of the comic, I hand drew an entire poster to promote the comic, oh, as one smart. does as, as a smart eighth grader. So I keep that with me 32 years later. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. awesome. Uh, well, let's talk about Fall Through, though, because like I said, it is a fictionalized version of things that you did, and it takes it into a different extreme. You're not the main character or anything like that. It's far as i know um but what was so what was the inspiration there in terms of taking something that actually happened to you even down to the visuals like you show off a picture of the back of the book that's pretty much straight up reproduced about halfway through the book at various places um and then veering it off with different characters different situations well uh okay i mean i guess caveat my previous solo book was actually like autobiographical mm -hmm. uh, and nonfiction, but um, I'm really not interested in telling autobiographical stories that, that save it for later was kind of a special everything's fucked up kind of circumstance. And uh, <laughs> basically like a lot of this came from 
throughout my 30s kind of having a, a revelation about fiction and recognizing that, I mean, I'm not like saying anything profound here, but oftentimes fiction is the best avenue to like speak the truth. So um, I guess I stopped being in bands around 2010, uh, just prior to becoming a parent. That happens. No. Uh, what? That stopped? Yeah, yeah shocker. Um, but, uh, I'm like, thinking of starting a band with my kids. That's hey! That's the next step. Yeah, it's like I've got like the tiny drum set downstairs in a closet that only I use. Uh, uh, yeah, one of these days it's all going to come back together. Um, but yeah, basically like I had my most long-standing band, Sufi Nun Squad, uh, went defunct you know, around 2006 and I still played around with different bands and projects and stuff. Um, but starting back from like 15 years ago, I kind of wanted to get a lot of reflections out about what it means to be in a band family, like people who actually like help shape each other, but also the creative dynamics, the power dynamics that happen, especially like in something that says uh, that's constructed around like, an ideology that's like propped up by 16 to 24 year olds. Mm -hmm. uh, and the older you get, the more you realize the cracks that are in the foundation of that. But a lot of that has to do with like sharing and making things together uh, and uh, recognizing that like a lot of these sort of like group creative efforts are in fact, uh, you know, people vying to have their own vision uh, kind of, kind of pushed to the forefront. Um, and it just took a long time, but eventually, uh, you know, I had like a random scene in a graphic novel I did called Come Again that had this this band in there called Diamond Mine. And uh, they kind of Boba Fetted the book, like they were mm -hmm. in a scene that had nothing to do with the rest of the book. But when it was done, I was like, oh, this is this is its own next book that I'm starting right now. Uh, and a lot of it was just by virtue of not wanting to say goodbye to those characters. I was like maybe this is where I can actually dive into this enormous part of my life that I really haven't given myself a way to reflect on at all. Uh, and then, you know, comics is just a slow crawl. So, you know, it's like three or four years of figuring out what that actually means and crafting it into a story that uh, was satisfying and made sense. Now, this, correct me if I'm wrong, I may be very wrong about this, but this You're book so takes place. Oh, God. <laughs> this, this book takes place in the late 70s, 80s, right? For the most oh, part. Okay. It takes, this book takes place mostly in 1994. Oh, but the, okay. The previous, uh, like the Boba Fett <laughs> scene of, of these protagonists, uh, okay. takes place in 1979 in that book, Come Again. So basically when I decided, I was like, oh, I'm going to get a whole book going with this. Immediately there was this, this time paradox that couldn't be resolved. And I was like, this is not going to make any sense unless I make the fact that it doesn't make sense central to the book itself. Yeah. Well, and I, that's what I love about it. If we can talk about sort of that, the yeah. sort of the sci-fi premise of it, um, that they're sort of uh, trapped in a time loop of a never ending tour the eternally repeating tours, I think the words you use. You bet. Um, I love that as a metaphor to what it's like to collaborate with people. And I feel like you were just touching on it a little bit. Can you sort of get into how you landed on that and what, what that means in the book? Without a doubt. Uh, like in terms of, you know, like making decisions that determine what the plot of a story is, 
uh, over the last few years, like I, I really feel like I've only in the last few years kind of leveled up in terms of actually writing stories so that I don't feel like I'm just kind of like faking my way through a book or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but for me, a lot of it had to do with embracing this idea of reverse engineering uh, elements in a story structurally by like basically like I know what I want to draw. I have a feeling about what I want to talk about or whatever. But once I realize there are limitations that are and obstacles in the story that are getting in the way, like from the very first day, realizing that there is an anachronism with these characters right. and putting them in someplace else, I'm like, okay, so I need to write down this complication and basically reverse engineer something in the story, which allows this to exist. Um, and so, yeah, once it, it's really a relationship book. Yeah. It's, it's about uh, the, the personal dynamics and the feelings and connections between these people, but also about how like a lot of any kind of creative community or band, any, any kind of like semi closed system can get just, can become its own like bubble universe. And especially being on tour with a band, um, if you spend a month just in a van with, with you know, your best friends, it, it, especially in a pre-internet, pre-cell phone world, uh, it's not that it's easy to forget about the rest of the world and how you relate to it. It's difficult to even remember a lot of components about the world outside of your bubble. Um, and, uh, yeah, I feel like that extends far beyond just playing loud music and, and touring in a band. But I think a lot of it is pretty common to like any kind of creative effort involving people who care about each other a lot. You're saying even like a podcast that people have been doing for like even 18 years. A podcast. <laughs> but you're each in your own bubble and then in a, in a slightly <laughs> larger bubble. Uh, that's true. Bubbles in bubbles, man. Yeah, that's, you know it. That's legit. Could you talk a little bit about the structure of the book? And the reason I asked this is because while I was reading, it struck me that it's almost like this bell curve of narrative where it starts very tone poem is probably the wrong thing, but it definitely like leads into the musicality of it becomes more narrative. If it goes towards the middle and then the narrative starts to fall apart until you get back to that tone poem nature at the end, you're not a guess. So I, I guess I'm correct on this one. I mean, I yeah, you are. That. Hooray. Wow. I've never heard tone poem used. Yeah, that tone poem is serious. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan. Uh, and, but that that's uh, that's pretty much that, that encapsulates a lot of my style. I feel like when I once I once I have a feel for how a story is generally going to go, when I'm actually kind of like breaking it down and thumbnailing pages and stuff, uh, I feel like I do think about the pacing and structure of a graphic novel in a very musical way. And in that, in this case, I mean, in terms of how time flows. So yeah, like uh, there is, in terms of narrator, yeah, there's a lot more voiceover and first person kind of like reflection commentary, but things uh, are really laying themselves out, like, you know, setting, I, like I realized I, I grew up inside underground punk and there are a lot of things that I take for granted that are, fairly i mean they're like not that freakish but somewhat unusual in terms of like just a bunch of young people generally agreeing to do certain things a certain way with unspoken sets of rules that are adhered to so closely 
and and so like a lot of it had to do with just kind of like patiently laying that out uh and then once the band actually leaves on this endless tour about a quarter of the way through the book uh then basically it's sort of like the momentum of what happens sort of carries itself and then the yeah the reverse happens like i'm a fan of like a four act structure and i like a nice mm. a nice symmetry i like a good kind of like pinch right in the middle so you're right on with the bell curve uh but yeah like also endings are hard and so like yeah. <laughs> oftentimes like i give a lot of leeway for any book any movie uh in terms of like how they actually stick the landing uh but i think like it's it, it works best for me to kind of pull the reader out a little bit by getting back into narration um and just sort of like yeah getting getting the wheels back on the runway it's oh, interesting. that's interesting oh. the, this yeah. sorry that maybe we're asking yeah, the same it's... question the yeah. uh four act structure i mean you hear a lot about three act structure uh, and four act is that would you consider the fourth act like that landing you're talking about or is it something else altogether? no i i think i think it's really like each act would be about a quarter of the book. I actually think most of the time a three act structure is really four acts. I think in the middle <laughs> of act two, like when, whatever, like, you know, tone changing, earth shaking revelation okay. happens is actually the end of act two. Like um, point. And point uh, is actually an act break you're saying and act two is actually usually longer anyway. You bet. Yeah. But this is, I think this is where, you know, we all learn in English class or in filmmaking or whatever about like the, you know, the sacred nature of the Shakespearean three act yeah. uh, uh, story or whatever. But once I started breaking down my own stories and trying to figure out like what I was actually doing, I was like, I was like, no, all of these kind of operate in four chunks. And I was like, maybe that's just the way I like doing it. That's awesome. What I was going to ask you about had nothing really to do with the comic book, but you saying that the punk scene has a bunch of agreed upon rules as, yeah. as very much an outsider that almost feels antithetical to, oh, of course, punk. Yeah. but so uh, talk about that a little bit, because I think that came through in the book. You have all of these characters that are being super nice and supportive and just dancing and listening to the music and that's it. And again, I'm a lame uh, who doesn't know anything about this. Yeah. So where confession. does that come from? And is the punk scene more like that? Uh, well, it's a lot of it. Uh, I guess a lot of this, there are a lot of parts of this story uh, that are basically, uh, you know, like you could apply a lay person's idea of quantum physics to almost any other and it works. And uh, especially with like this idea of like little parallel bubble, bubble universes existing but i think that's also true with underground punk um and by underground i really mean like non-corporate self-sustained you know do-it-yourself punk that's that's mm. like it tends to that tends to skew towards younger people but younger people who are figuring out how to do things on their own instead of figuring out how to get into a club to see a band play. Uh, and so with this, and I feel like a lot of this was generated, you know, around 79 and 80 in Washington, DC, this, this particular kind of, of underground punk as a network, uh, as a way of actually getting things done. Um, 
But with that, like, how do you keep that alive and healthy? How do you pass along news to people in other states or in other countries? Um, how do you actually become a larger community? And I think a lot of it is like, sometimes it's following rules that are agreed upon by someone else far away. Uh, like for, huh. yeah, like for like 25 years or 30 years, even there was a fairly archaic kind of like $5 cover charge limit for any show, no matter what, but especially in the nineties, like in the post nevermind post dookie kind of super underground response to punk going mainstream again, uh, people got really dogmatic about like, like if you, if you have that $6 show, those were fighting words. And my band uh, was guilty of that one time as well. And it's something I'm embarrassed about. The $6 was our limit. $7 too much. So it's like a lot of it is just like bullshit when I look back <laughs> on it now. But at the time, uh, like it's really easy to forget that not like these are yeah, 16 to 24 year olds, but it's also everything is a reaction to something yeah. that's happening, not only like in mainstream culture, uh, but in underground culture itself. Um, and so a lot of it, yeah, some of it is like some of it's even weird and borderline controlling and culty when it gets down to like diet, vegetarianism, uh, or even like in terms of like where anarchism or fake anarchism crosses over, like how much food is allowed to be purchased versus what needs to be grown or dumpstered or wow. stolen or whatever. Wow. Like, yeah. Like for, for a scene that like seems to reject rules, uh, <laughs> punk props itself up by just being an ocean of rules. Mm. Well, what I love about that is the line of selling out, is five to six dollars back then like what yeah. a change yeah. we've gone through now where selling out is sort of the goal of the, for the sure of that. it is a very interesting generational shift uh that and this is like this goes way past punk but i'm sure it's like a, it's especially acute in something like punk the fact that there is absolutely like post-financial crash of 2008 i feel like anyone yeah. who came of age after that point there uh, is no concept so of not selling out because it's just so hard to get by. And I think yeah. that's ultimately a health, that's a, it's a really healthy thing. Um, especially like the way that people, I think before 2008, even in the indie comics world, like there was a little bit of, there is still so much of like an unspoken stigma in terms of like what it means to like, make it under your own power as a cartoonist where the yeah. goal needed to be that you were able to make a living by doing comics uh even if that was functionally unattainable or it would take forever and i think the the embrace of reality be like you know what i work this full-time job it's it's meaningful to me i still have time to make comics i don't have to answer to anybody to do that uh it sort of liberated i feel like a whole generation of cartoonists uh, and like musically, it, it's nice now that my friends who are who still tour and stuff, um, you know, like they're able to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to play shows for a week on the West Coast. We're going to fly out there. Uh, we are going to do these seven shows and come home. It's going to work. By the way, the shows will be twenty five dollars and then people will be like, I want to go see you. So I will go pay twenty five dollars. And they're yeah. like, 
we're all happy. Okay. Like, oh, it could have been like this the whole time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you, though. I don't think it could have been until now. It yes. took, we all sort of agreed on this. And this is like the lame response to that. Like, I'm unmusical. But the indie comedy scene in New York when I was wanna, got I was here was the that. same exact way. It was like, yeah. yo, you're going to charge more than $5 to your improv show? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> $5 is what we charge, and we use that money to buy beer afterwards, and that's it. That money doesn't go to help our lives at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like I, I never personally made uh, a dollar off of being yeah. in bands. There, there was beef one time with – one of my bandmates who's also one of my best friends and it was sort of the other band parent because I, I ran our out of the bedroom record label uh, to yeah. self-release stuff. And uh, there were three, exactly three months in a row where I was like, I'm going to try to pay my $100 rent with my <laughs> record label money. And the idea was, I was like, mathematically, I'm going to see, if I can work hard enough at my record label, that it'll somehow make a hundred dollars a month and be worth it. It didn't work, but it caused, <laughs> but I was like Scrooge McDuck up in here. Winning yeah. <laughs> like in that trying to pay his hundred dollar rent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man, you've so really convinced funny. me. I think uh, just a general announcement for anybody listening to the or watching this podcast from now on, it's $25 a week. So, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. And we'll be fine. Wow, well, that's the lesson. That's the yeah, lesson. Well, that's, that's, that's all you heard. That's all I heard. $25, and my eyeballs turned into cha ching. No, I think the real lesson is indie comedy and indie punk should have gotten together and put on some killer, weird mashup shows back in the day. <laughs> yes. 100%. Uh, oh, we have a question here from the comments that's relevant to this discussion we're having right now. Stray Bullet says, who is Nate's favorite 80s to early 90s punk band? Uh, well, I'd say my my all-time favorite band. Uh, this is a little embarrassing because I'm coincidentally wearing the band's shirt right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. yes. I love oh, that you're yeah. this band. So, yeah, so Moss Icon. Don't be that guy. From Annapolis, Maryland. That That's my all-time favorite band. They were... 87 to 91. Um, but yeah, like most of, most of the bands that struck me the hardest are either from the DC Maryland area, uh, or would have come from the San Francisco Bay area at the exact same time. And so the Arkansas underground punk world that I sort of emerged into was equally influenced by those two, uh, poles. (laughs) Wow. Can you talk, uh, this is back to the book a little bit, and this is a question that I ask literally anytime anybody comes on to talk about a book that has music, but everybody gives a different answer every time. Depicting music in a comic book. How did you approach that? In particular, I'd love to hear you talk about when the lead singer is singing and her, mild spoiler for anybody here, but her face essentially turns into like a ghost scream face, where that came from visually. You bet. Okay, so part one, uh, music, like, this one, like, I started publishing comics in 92, and then I got, I got a lot more prolific about it in the late, around 99 or 2000. So that is when I finally started funneling all this interest in music and my zine writing in with comics. And that's when I had to kind of like work out what a visual expression could be or should be for music. Uh, I feel like I didn't quite 
get it until around like 2006, 2007. Lily Carre had a really great book called The Lagoon that had a great depiction of music. And then uh, Joseph Lambert had this tiny little self-published mini comic called Turtle Keep It Steady. <laughs> there was just like this little turtle playing drums. And uh, <laughs> and it's like every, it's like he'd just be, just be bebopping. And uh, Joseph Lambert would break up the actual like rhythms of the drums with markings and then every couple of pages you would see this off panel chorus just through a word balloon just go turtle keep it steady and then he'd like go back in and be like <laughs> doing all this stuff and i was like i could do whatever i want to express music uh so uh that a lot of it was like trying to embrace the idea of synesthesia in comics like mm -hmm crossing senses as they appear on the page i feel like is a major theme of my my work since swallow me whole and uh in particular yeah like uh finding visual depictions of yeah textures tastes and sound um so for me a lot of it is trying to incorporate the 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 sound of the music into the image so that it's inseparable so that it's not it's not like a word balloon. It's not resting on top of something or behind something, trying to keep things as interwoven as possible. Uh, because when we're experiencing music in physical space, we can't separate it from our friends talking to us or from the way our jacket feels on our itchy skin or whatever. Um, and so just a full incorporation uh, worked for me. And just, I like keeping it kind of like drifting, but uh, like for this, for this book, I really don't want to give people a clear idea of what the band Diamond Mine should sound like. Mm -hmm. uh, and they come from like a, a very particular time in underground punk. So you can certainly guess, but I feel like that kind of like ruins things to be too directive. So I tried to actually avoid anything that would give except for like the intermittent tears falling uh, from <laughs> either the band or the showgoers. Um, there is a little bit of like, yeah, it's a little saturated in the second to third wave of emo hardcore. But other than that, like it doesn't really matter what the band sounds like, um, especially because there's one of these bands, you know, each scene has their own diamond mine uh, that, that is incredibly special right. to them and only to them. Now, for the weird, like, possessed, transcendent face that Diana gets when she sort of goes, like, when they play the song Fall Through or when people in the crowd kind of get charged with that energy, I'm actually going to grab this off of my wall up here. Uh, oh, yeah. That goes back. That goes back to the beginning of the graphic novel. Mm. So it actually comes from this image from 1930 three years before the comic book was even invented by Lynn Ward. Um, oh. So Lynn oh, Ward wow. did these six uh, proto-graphic novels. And I think actually WPA or somebody might've actually published these in the twenties and thirties. Oh, um, that's awesome. And the library of library of America published this, like republished these as a box set in the last 10 years. But this is from the book Madman's Drum in 1930. Um, and so like Whoa. in a weird full oh, circle, that's amazing. 
Thank you. I agree. Yeah. Th yeah. Like this, this struck me and haunted me the instant I saw it. And, and really all of his work is just so stellar. But what's wild is that I named this book fall through after a seven inch record from my hometown by a band called five O. Um, and it was just this very meaningful record in my life. And uh, my entry point to Lynn Ward was the fact that the band took a bunch of Lynn Ward art 30 years ago and basically just cut and pasted and used all of this Lynn Ward stuff from this book for the fall through seven inch. Whoa. So ah. like it was, it was so perfect and so haunting that I was like, I could, I'm going to build an entire book around this circular inspiration. Sorry, to not to go way off of Do what it. we're talking about, but Lynn Ward. So tell me more about this, like a WPA project that was a protographic novel. Tell yeah, me, what, like, that sounds insane. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, Art Spiegelman uh, does, he wrote some really good essays for each of these books in here. But yeah, so like a lot of it is like, most of these are, I mean, they're all wordless. Uh, and so it's, it is one panel per page. They are actually woodcuts. And this is before the invention oh. of the comic book. Whoa. But Yo, I have but to get my hands up. Yeah, it's like, it's incredible, just like sequential. Oh, here we go. See, there's, there's the actual piece. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is like getting, you know, using our comics loving, uh, brains and eyes that we have now you sort of dive in and you're able to follow through continuity and through detail to get this very rich sense of character epic you know like drama and tragedy uh these sort of like intergenerational reckonings without a word and really like some of these i think like the shortest one of these was only there were only like 125 copies published all hand bound and signed by lynn ward I mean, we will never see these books, but it's wild to think that like, you know, like this sort of goes back into DIY punk. Like there's really nothing that's not do it yourself about this. And the fact that these were stories that Lynn Ward felt he had to make and make 125 copies of them. But the fact Yo, that they, they were woodcuts, they were wood cuts. wood. Yes. <laughs> putting ink on that's that's it's wild. And yeah. and the fact that these were arguably the first graphic novels. Uh, I well, can't believe I, I, I haven't could... heard of this. We've been reading comics for our whole we, lives. We reviewed this, this is... on our very first show <laughs> back in, in 1930. 1930. Yeah, we've been doing it since then. I mean, good. I can. Where's there's the a very clear line here, and I know you've already talked about this, but like, and, and I know this doesn't necessarily make sense for anybody else who read the book, but. Like, there's an image I immediately thought of towards the end of the book where you have these two characters who are lying down and holding each other, and it looks exactly like that stuff that you were just showing off. Do you feel like being inspired by that helped you pare down on the words, or were you already there? Yeah, it's actually difficult for me to fill a book with words without sounding really dumb. Like, frankly, so like right now, like I just finished penciling a prequel book to fall through. And oh, wow. my mission for the next month is actually I have about 60 pages in there where I need to I know what happens. And I need to put words in there that don't seem useless. And so I feel like <laughs> a lot of it is like following the Alex Toth rule of like, except in a writing sense where, you know, he's like strip away 
everything that's unnecessary and draw the hell out of what what's left. Um, uh, and for writing, like the way that I typically like to do it is I like to thumbnail and pencil through an entire book. And I only add, I only like pencil in dialogue or captions or whatever, if it comes to me in that moment. Cause I feel like if I, if I don't put placeholders and I just keep going, most of the time the words are not necessary. So the further yeah. I go, the more I try to resist putting words in, and then it becomes more obvious later on, be like, oh, I, I've got to put something here to make it make just a little more sense. Uh, I, they, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just love hearing that. I feel like we always hear the other version of that where it's always writer led and they are in the Marvel method where there is a little bit of collaboration, but so much is just writer driven. The idea that it is like sequential art, and it, this is obviously coming off of the Lynn Ward thing we were just talking about. Sure. But like, the idea that it is the pictures first and the words only come to elucidate something that the pictures aren't doing, that feels more like native to comics or more like what comics, what makes comics special as an art form in general. I, I agree. And I think like, you know, I, I do my own solo work and I also work with a number of writers doing fiction and nonfiction. And um, I think over the past 10 years, uh, it's been kind of validating to, to realize that it's okay to have that kind of like reductive approach to someone yeah. else's writing even so that like, you know, recognizing that if I, if I as an artist am going to be laying something out visually in a panel that makes some part of the script obsolete or redundant, it is simply okay to rec you know, to be like, just trying this out. I'm going to cross that line out and see how it works. <laughs> and most of the time, I do find that the writers I've worked with, in 95% of the time, are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we don't need that. We don't need that either. Um, and uh, and but again, that that's where even in that piecemeal, more traditional comics collaboration, that's where the magic of comics happens. Is is also yeah. not just building on each other's stuff but stripping away the scaffolding of a new thing you've made together. I feel like this is a comic book masterclass we're in right now. And it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you're working on a prequel to fall through, given that you already had a book that it introduced the band and now you have fall through and now you're doing this prequel book. Are, are they all part of a trilogy for you or are they, they are now. Uh, they are now. <laughs> right. yeah. well do well, you see like are there themes that you're playing with throughout these three books there are and so like all of my solo fiction takes place in the same kind of shared fictional arkansas universe arkansas is where i'm from i didn't just pick a random state i gonna say uh, i had a feeling yeah. <laughs> uh, and so like they are interconnected in the most tangential of ways and a lot of it is just like easter eggs that make it fun and satisfying for me um, when I realize there's a way to link the books together, even through like a single character or a single scene. But uh, like just in the same way that I wound up starting Fall Through as its own story, because when I Boba Fetted Come Again with this band, uh, and, and then I was like, I don't want to say goodbye to them. I was just getting started. The end result was like another 184 pages of story. <laughs> When I finished this, when I finished Fall Through, the story was done. 
And I was pretty sad for a couple of months because I was like, I can't believe there is no more of these characters. I was like, I wrapped <laughs> it up. I'm very happy with how it turned out. But I'm just like, I feel I feel a little like empty inside that I don't they don't get their lives don't get to continue with in a way that I can like make it happen. And uh, and I was like, did I run out of ideas? But then after about like five months, a single scene came to me after I had too much coffee one morning. And I was like, oh, I was like, I've got to draw this. And I kept trying to turn it into something bigger, but I was like, I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe I'll just like draw this little 10 page scene for fun and I'll put it online or something. I just want to draw more. Uh, and then I often forget that sometimes you just have to like sit and let something marinate. So after a couple more months, all of a sudden pieces just start falling together. And then I spent the entire summer just like looking like a lunatic in my backyard, just like, like eating chips and sweating and being like, not now I'm onto something. And it, <laughs> and it, it came together really quickly. Um, and so a lot of like the way that I write is uh, I still like by using a sketchbook, uh, whether it's drawing or writing these little moments or scenes um, and I don't see a connection between them yet. A lot of it is like, eventually I write a list of all those little moments, all those little scenes. And then I actually like physically make index cards where the, the, the element is on each one of them. And I rearrange them like on the floor again, like a madman, uh, <laughs> sometimes with candles. Wow. Wow. Which, you know, you gotta this have your ritualistic. I love yeah, you it. Gotta it do seems it. dangerous. I do have like some very fluffy cats as well. Oh, it's, wow. it, it, is, it is actually quite dangerous at times. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a lot of it is like visually I see, I can see the relationships between certain elements that eventually become a story. Um, and it just, it, sometimes it takes years and sometimes it takes a few months, but the fact wow. that there is a prequel was a surprise to me. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, well, you clearly, as we can see, seem pretty fired up about this and doing your own solo work. But is collaboration or adaptation something like March, something that you want to get back to again at any point? Or are you just happy exploring this place right now? Uh, I mean, yes to both. Like, part of it is I know that I will. In the next year, I'm sure that the, some kind of cards are going to be aligning uh, or stars. Uh <laughs> and yeah, I, I and I also know that you know, like my more solid bring home the bacon kind of work is typically working with other writers and doing nonfiction stuff. Um, they're both very intensive, and so whenever possible, I like to bounce back and forth so that once it's time to go back into nonfiction land, it actually feels refreshing. And I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to batten down the hatches and do this like very serious informative somewhat depressing hopefully somewhat encouraging okay. book uh and by the time that's done i'm like now i'm ready to play for the next year and a half uh and that seems <laughs> to work right. the best for me yeah yeah cool. and so the classic something... one for you one for yeah, me for real it's great when you do something like that uh, and i'm sure every project is different but do you have somebody like uh, john lewis comes to you and is like hey i want to work with this are you pitching them because it's a story you're interested in how does that work? Um, oftentimes, frankly, I feel like I've just kind of lucked out. And a lot of it is like, uh, 
um, like I oddly, I have another entire book that's coming out in two more months. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So like, right. basically for the entire pandemic, the only thing I did besides my dad duties was I made these two books. And so it's weird now to like be returning to the world and all of a sudden it's just like one, two. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it seems like a little much, but that's just how it turned out. But this other book, uh, Lies My Teacher Told Me, which is, it's an adaptation of this very influential, basically history book about American history textbooks uh, that this guy, oh. James Lewin, uh, wrote in the mid 90s, um, right before the world shut down in 2020. Uh, he just emailed me out of the blue and like his, his book and actually several of his books were very transformative in my life in the early uh, and mid 2000s. Um, wow. Like I, I owe him a huge debt in terms of opening my eyes to a lot and, and like having new ways to sort of analyze what we learn and how we learn and everything. But he emailed me out of the blue being like, oh, I don't know if you know who I am, but I was wondering if you were interested in doing a, you know, comics adaptation of this book. And I remember like that second and writing back and I was like, we'll figure out the details, but I will definitely do this and I'll get started right now. I, I just <laughs> up to do so it. Nice. Here's and, 10 and pages. Like, Here we go. I, if it were under my own, just under my own power, I never would have thought to approach someone like James Lewin to be like, would it be okay if maybe I did an adaptation? Um, So I feel very fortunate that there are people, especially like through my work in March, who have been like, I've got an idea. What would you say about this? Um, So I I feel thankful that the nonfiction side kind of comes to my doorstep. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, before we let you go, since the book is out in the world now, and presumably you're going to be able to go out and do events, will you go back to music? Will you play any music at any of your <laughs> signings or anything like that? Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, okay. So like when we, when we all started our band as junior high students or whatever, uh, our, and our drummer was a sixth grader. So we had some elementary oh. action going on too. Wow. Stretch. But, like we, we were in bands forever. I was the last one to get access to a musical instrument. So everybody else like became wizards almost immediately. And then like the next thing I knew, I was the one where I was like, I guess I'll learn bass someday. (laughs) I I did manage to play a show with them uh, as a memorial for somebody who passed away at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, And we played that show last summer and that felt great. But it definitely conjured a lot of those old feelings where like we're on in very different parts of life and just so overjoyed to be together making music again. But I was like, I wonder how terrible they, the rest of these dudes think I am at my <laughs> instrument right now. Uh, wow. But so, sometimes the baggage never goes away, but usually it's just your own baggage. It's not mm, anything right. that anyone else is experiencing. Yeah. But I'll, I'll leave the music at home. Right, but the enough. sixth grader was still like sort of a baby though. dude the sixth grader tours the world in a metal band he's like he was the one where like That's the, so as, as sufi nun squad got more got sort of more popular and had a lot of momentum around it he was sort of the weak link for a little bit and he was like eh, i kind of want to just like go skate at home and we're like whatever weak link he's the one who has outlasted all of us and oh, he's like so oh yeah 
I went on this leg of a tour with Megadeth a couple of weeks ago in uh, Indonesia. Like it was all right or whatever. And you're like, what are you talking? What is your life? He's yeah, like, yeah, you're in sixth age. grade. What are you doing? Yeah, you, you're out way too late. Yeah, yeah. you're too young. Yeah. He's going to be going through some changes soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell of a way to hit puberty with Megadeth. Yeah. Uh, Nate. Thank you so much. The book is amazing. Uh, uh, everybody yeah. should definitely check it out. Thank you for taking so much time and chatting. And I'm looking forward to the prequel. It was a delight, y'all. Awesome. Oh, great talking to you. So much. Thanks, great stuff. Have a great night. Take it easy, y'all. All right. There we go. Once again, that was Nate Powell. The book is called Fall Through and is out in yeah. stores everywhere right now from Abrams Books. Like I said, it's awesome. You should definitely check it out. Whether you know a lot about the punk scene or you know literally nothing like me, you're still going to absolutely love it. We learned a lot about so much. I'm going to dig up those Lynn Ward books. Oh, my God. Of course, uh, Nate's book is amazing. We should have Lynn Ward on the show. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? So, your woodcuts. What's your process? Oh, man. (laughs) So, you're a ghost. Yeah. I don't know why I was typing to a ghost. Yeah. Ghost type. I think that's how ghosts communicate. The Last Kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spinoff series, The Last Comics on Earth, Too Many Villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet, creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash puzzle-filled race across Apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. Seriously, my younger kid is a huge fan of both the Last Kid series and the Last Comic series. It's true. And now I'm hooked too. The whole team has created a delightful cast of characters with some fantastic kid-friendly art throughout that will appeal to readers of all ages. Buy your copy of The Last Comics on Earth in stores today. You can also visit lastkidsonearth.com to learn more. Well, anyway, why don't we move on with our next section, which is my favorite section, because you all make it up. It's your audience question. And for audience questions, all you got to do is drop a question in the comments on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, or X slash Twitter. We'll get to them. I know we've got a couple already, but before we do, we've got a couple of items of business to go over, guys. No. Uh, first of all, drink this week, Stray Bullet, Stray Bullies, Brett Macris always curates a drink. This week, it's Mardi Gras down in New Orleans, so he has made a Sazerac which I had forgotten. This is one very good drink. Good stuff. Love a Sazerac. I didn't go that way with my drink uh, because I didn't have, I I don't have cognac. I had Calvados, but I didn't want to go that way. So I just Mm -hmm. made a uh, a tequila Negroni Mm -hmm. with some slapped basil dropped in there. Ooh, slap that basil. Slap that basil. Make that basil pop. Uh, and it has a nice little <laughs> Pete, what are you having? Landshark? Landshark. Uh, knock, knock. Who's at your door? Yeah. Landshark. <laughs> what? You can free ad from Pete LePage, as always. Well, listen, we got a couple of questions here, but before we do, like I said, we have some business to talk about. The business specifically, over the weekend, we put up an episode in the main comic book club feed. It was a special episode where we did a X-Men team draft. If you haven't checked it out, definitely please do go check it out. I had a lot of fun at the very least, and people have listened to it and have been very nice about it. I think they've been enjoying it as well. We each chose our ideal X-Men team through a draft format. Uh, We ended up with it, went to bat for them, talked about 
various totally normal stories that we would do based yeah. on the team. No one said anything weird. That's <laughs> <laughs> but then we also asked people in our Patreon Slack and on social media, specifically Twitter X, because frankly, it was easiest to do it there, to vote on which team was the best. And I have our results here. Oh, I've, boy. Uh, this ought to be a call together. I didn't know you were doing this. Uh, yeah, yeah. We said we were going to do it. So this is, this is the payoff of that particular thing. So just to review, should we talk about... Wait. Yes. This, so does this mean that all of your minions have access to this? Because I feel like that's what's going to happen. You got to stop saying minions. They left the second Riverdale ended. They're not interested. Oh, in yeah, that's, exactly. That's, it's fine. <laughs> I'm very unpopular now. Uh, the <laughs> But why don't we talk about what our X-Men teams are? I'm going to try to remember mine offhand, but I've got Cypher, Dr. Nemesis, Storm, Wolverine, Kitty Pride and Miss Marvel. That was my team. I'm not going to give yeah. any of the reasoning. If you want to hear the reasoning, you can check out the podcast. Uh, Pete, yeah, what about you? Listen to the podcast. It's absolutely insane. Yes. Uh, have Justin go. I'm pulling mine up right yeah, now. I have yours, Pete, if you want me to say it too. Uh, okay. Mine was Rogue, Colossus, Havoc, X-Man, Longshot, and Bloodstorm, the Vampire Storm. Um, Pete, you have yours? You want me to say? Go ahead and say it. Uh, Pete talking. chose X-23, Blink, Bishop, Vulcan, shouts, Phantom X, Warpath. Come on! Well, there we go. So, we again, we had people vote. We got some votes on Patreon. We got some votes on Twitter. I culled them together. So, we're going to start with number three. Here's who came in with number three on the votes. Was... Justin, Justin yes, was number no. three. Oh, oh, I, I felt no. that. I felt that energy. It's right. The I Just Caddy X-Men. Coming in at number three. Um, yeah. So it's between me and Pete for number one and number two. Uh, I guess, let's see. It was pretty close, actually. I think it was one off for the winner. Really? Yeah, it was wow. one, It was like that close but with Man, the votes. I should have voted. <laughs> I had a lot of people just saying they like my team but didn't vote. <laughs> oh, yeah, like you heard a lot of scuttlebutt on the street. A lot of scuttlebutt. Yeah. Uh, but with one vote winning, one vote away, the winner of the first annual <laughs> X-Men team <laughs> draft is Pete. Oh, Woo! my God. What? Pete took Pete it. the hater? The X-Men hater? Pete Come the X-Men hater took it with the most popular like team. By one so vote. what happened? Did you close. hit the Vulcan hive just lit up for you? Everyone <laughs> I don't know what happened the, there. Yeah. The, Fourth most popular. He also, brother. I'll mention, trounced us on Twitter. Like, clearly the most popular one on Twitter there. So, there I mean, you go. Pete is a fan of the people, so shouts to him. And I will say, Pete's team certainly caught me off guard. So, <laughs> uh, uh, Michael Eamon says, um, I, Justin, I wrote a punk song about your team. Charge $6 for people to hear it. I'm here for that. That's fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there you go. Congratulations, Pete. As we talked about on the podcast, your team is now the official next X-Men team that's going to be published starting in July at Marvel. There's oh, man. Here. Um, yeah, I'm hoping Jordan D. White gives me the job because I would love to do it. Yeah, the job that's is, a joke, by the way. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we do have a follow-up question about this. Here we go. Hold on. I got to I gotta. Find it. Uh, there is this comes from Facebook. Josh Sinison says, which comic book club drafted X-Men team has the most slash fiction potential? Ooh. Oh boy. Um Pete's, Great question. I'm gonna say. 
I feel like. I think Pete? we all know the answer. Yep. No, yeah. I don't think so, actually. Oh, yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. They love to slash, yeah. and they love slash. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're maybe the sharpest, but not even. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I certainly tried to build my team for romance in a certain way, but... No, um... no you did not. <laughs> your team... Your team has very little chemistry, if I may say. Uh, uh, excuse me. Cypher <laughs> and Kitty were dating when they were first introduced. Um, okay, excuse so. me. Uh, really? I don't, rem- yeah. I don't recall. Storm really and Wolverine, completely. if you remember from X-Men 3, uh, struck me. up a little bit of a thing. Uh, and everybody loved that. Yeah, definitely people were definitely loving that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess there's not a lot of uh, romance happening on any of these teams, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm reading them. Probably not. So I guess the answer, Josh, is no. All right. Yeah. This is from <laughs> Schoikler. Uh, I have a sudden headache. I need to lie down, so I'm going to post my audience question now. I uh, hope you feel better, Schoikler. Yeah, I feel better. What event or period from your earlier life would you use for an autobiographical or semi-autobiographical comic? Ooh, great, great question. question. Let's get personal, gang. Yeah. Uh, I would have to say the uh, moment that comedy changed my life, I think, is what... Uh, that comedy sure. changed your life? Yes. When Tell I them. realized the power of comedy. Um, it, Basically, we were on a road trip. We were little... Uh, when I was a little kid, we would... Uh, there was a timeshare that my dad knew a guy, knew a guy, knew a guy. We were getting a deal on a timeshare. So we would pack up the giant station wagon with the wood side panels. And we would drive from Rochester, New York to Florida, Fort Myers, Florida. My family and, did that too. Not to the same place, but uh, we would drive to Florida as well. Sounds insane. It's insane to think about now, especially because there was no iPads. There was nothing to keep us busy. It was like- real quick. I was just talking about this with my family. My dad built a bed in the back of our van. Wow. So there was no seatbelts or anything. And we would just lay in the back. I was like, that's, we were like hostages, essentially. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he would, uh, it was that station wagon where you could, it turned into a whole bed where you would just yeah. hold the seats down. Yeah. And we would just like lay back there. And it was like, it was total anarchy. Like, yeah, it, luckily, not, I mean, those things were so big, you could, you know, hit a building and walk away and be fine. I mean, those yeah. things were like tanks. Cars were different back then. Anyways, uh, we, were, we were driving and um, we stopped at McDonald's, which was a huge deal. And I ate like a, like a champion. And then my dad was trying to make up time because McDonald's took so long. And we were in the hills of Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah. and I threw up all over the place. Like it was a barf orama. Like I painted the inside of the uh, car and we were in Pennsylvania and going to Florida. So it was a long, and like, everyone was so angry at me, like yeah. so angry. I thought I was dead. And then my dad put on Robin Williams live at the Met and we were just covered in barf laughing hysterically, having the greatest <laughs> time ever. This is such a good story. Uh, that's uh, wow. Uh, yes, that that's would be good. great graphic novel fodder. I'll very quickly say very mine because novel. I don't think it's nearly as good as Pete's. But when I was 13, I went on a teen tour, which I have discovered is a thing most people in the country don't do, but people on no. Long Island definitely do do, which is we went uh, up and then back down the East Coast alternating staying on campsites and then staying at hotels 
uh, and then went to basically like every state on the East Coast. It was super fun, very, very formative. And if I was going to do like a YA graphic novel, that feels like the perfect setting for that. Teen tour. I love it. Just think of the romances happening on the A. Zalman mm-hmm. teen tour. Woo! <laughs> that is hot and I, not I got so stories. Heavy. I got stories, yeah. man. Uh, save them for the uh, for the very graphic novel. Uh, mine would be uh, after college. I was on a grant studying political street theater for a year oh around the God, world. I love these stories. I traveled alone for one whole year. I went to England, Scotland, India. That's insane. Uh, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, uh, Vanuatu, France, and Italy. Wildest year of my life. A travelogue about that. I was in. Um, I was in uh, Chennai, India during September 11th. Uh, oh. Insane. Just why, lots of stories there. <coughs> well, uh, just a little follow up here of clarification. Michael even says, is the slash fiction when two hetero men are paired together in homoerotic fiction? That's what I was taught. Yes. I, Pete's team is the most male team, I think, which is why I thought it has the most promise there. Dude, we don't. X-23 is my leader. We're sure but there's also like bishop and um uh, what's the other guy who else is warpath <laughs> yeah there you go they could what's that other guy uh okay this is from stray bullet now that the draft is done what game is the winning team playing great question what game is the winning team playing yeah baseball they're all playing yeah. baseball yeah. They're X-Men, x-men only play baseball that's you don't it. see you the x-men playing <laughs> The Avengers to challenge them to they soccer volleyball once. once like, I, think. I don't know how to play this. Yeah, they probably play volleyball. I don't know all those sharps. You can't play volleyball with any of the Wolverines. <laughs> you don't have the claws out, bro. You put the claws the, away. From when volleyball. they spike, they spike, Pete. <laughs> uh, now I'm not going to answer this next question, but David Quinley says, "What would your fave just? I believe this is Justice League team be." So we've gotten a bunch of. I, I think the question is, what would your favorite Justin League team be? Uh, great. Team oh, should we do a Justin draft next? Yeah. No, sorry. You go with <laughs> I, with take Bieber. I take yeah. Bieber. Um No, so we've gotten a bunch of great suggestions. And like I said, your feedback on this has been really awesome. It was super fun to do. I think we definitely want to do another one. But we'll take a look yeah. through the ideas and figure out which one is next. And let me say... The the X Men is such a like there was very little overlap and scarcity in our X Men draft. Mm-hmm. I think when we do almost any other team across any comic book line, there's going to be a lot more of like, hey, I had Superman on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, trying to think about that. Like Justice League is not to betray strategy, but like Justice League is hard because it's like there are seven people that should be on the Justice exactly. League. Well, and that's what's <laughs> exciting about that. That's why I like we start yeah. with X Men. Very much like a personality-driven one. It's going to be a fight when we get to, like, Justice League, Avengers, even, like, Teen Titans, uh, Mm -hmm. Doom Patrol, suggested in the Patreon Slack by Jolene. Like, where Doom Patrol is like, who are you going to choose besides the Doom Patrol? So, like, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And how many cliffs can I choose? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It is really interesting on the flip side that X-Men is so modular that way that like, obviously there are people you think about as X-Men, but as we showed on the podcast, everybody has a different answer. Like when you were thinking, we didn't choose a single original (laughs) X-Men. I know. And we caught some shit for it, but I will say that my X-Men team that I chose, I'm like that. These are the characters I feel like make a good, interesting Mm -hmm. team. And I think we all did that. 
and yeah. it, it's maybe we've seen a lot of those stories. I just I, this is recontextualized how I think about the X Men in general. Just doing that draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super fun. Definitely, we'll do another one at one some point. Um, TBD exactly exactly what franchise or team? Uh, we got one last one here. I'll throw out. What's the last movie you guys watched in theaters, and what would you guess is the next movie you will go see in a theater? Ooh, great question. The last movie I saw in theaters was The Killer. Uh, the you saw it in theaters. I did. Um, it was Ooh. only in theaters for like a week, um, but I I went and did it, uh, which was a great a great movie to see in in the theater. Uh, and I guess the next one, ah, I don't know. You got to see Aquaman, you son of a bitch. I'm definitely not seeing that in a theater. It's not even in theaters. <laughs> it's true. Oh, I know the next movie you're going to see in theaters. Probably all of us are going to go see Madam Web. Yep. I mean, no joke. I think that yeah, yeah probably. I'm excited for this. We'll talk about it for the Marvel Vision podcast, right? Yeah. Right, guys. Yeah. Def. Absolutely. Def. I'm psyched for Madam Web. I am excited. Maybe I'm in the minority. I'm going to keep optimistic about this movie. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to get my Madam Web popcorn bucket. It's going to be sweet. It's uh, Dakota Johnson's head. You like reach into her head and pick well, up. You've been really chatting about the Dune popcorn bucket. I know you're excited mm-hmm. about that. Oh, I can't too. wait. I'm going to really get into that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know you are. You're going to come at it from the top and the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yes, I bring my own popcorn topping. All right, why don't we move on? With our wow. next section, which is trivia. And for that, we're going to turn it over to Pete LePage. Hey! <laughs> Just like so many child in the comments there. Hey, listen, Snoop is my guy. But when I'm building an next kind of like go and fuck shit up, you know, Dupe can, can chill a little wow. bit. You know what Ooh, I mean? We will say the lack have of a hand check. up, by the way, in Twitch Down in from Twitch. the Zen Man. All right. Definitely the, the Zen, Zen Man's at it. Pete, maybe if we do an X Force draft, Dupe will make your top five mm-hmm. to six. All right. Why don't Zen Man's got it? Zen Man, all you got to do is drop your answers in the comments and we'll get to it. So, Pete, take it away. All right. Today's trivia is on great comic book artists and a small nod to the legend Carl Weathers. I R. knew R. it. Pete. Uh, Apollo Creed, R.I.P. All right, please listen to three, all three options before making your selection. Here we go. Question number one. According to CBR, who is the great, the greatest comic book artist of all time? Is wow. it A, Jack Kirby, hmm. B, in lieu of everything, I'm naming our son James, or is it C, James Lou? Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to say uh, Action Jackson. Is that what you're going for? Oh, you son of a... <laughs> son of a bitch. Well, uh, honestly, there's so much happening hey, right now. I don't Melbourne, know. Melbourne, why the fuck are you it's fucking... It's A. A. Zenon says A. I can't have shit. You know, I got to think about... Schoikler, the- Schoikler's out. Schoikler's got a headache. Somebody has to jump in. I thought in. I had a break. Alex, and you were like, hey, Alex I, is our honor. There's an opportunity right for me to be an asshole. Of course I'm going to take it. I'm Alex Delbert. Oh, I got a puppet. Okay, on. here we go. Question number two. Which comic book artist has won multiple Harvey and Eisner Awards? Is it A, Fiona Staples, B, Always Share Your Pebbles, or C, Sharon Stone? Mm. Always mm. Share Your Pebbles. Is that from... Um... 
What's that from? Uh, it used to be a uh, Fruity Pebbles commercial back in the day. Oh, <laughs> oh, wow. I thought that was the Squid Game. I thought that was a Squid Game reference. Share your pebbles? Isn't that the, oh, is it marbles in Squid Game? Marbles. A again? Is it A again? A is correct, yes. Wow. It's definitely right. not the, the second answer has been I'll tell you up. what. This is not interesting to anybody else, but Twitch, much faster than any other platform. Wow. <laughs> Here we go. Question number three. I've been telling you the whole time that we got to be on Twitch. Uh, which famous Craig? Pete's a, Pete's a big Twitch streamer. You got to check him yeah, out on huge. Fortnite. He dominates. Oh, yeah. You guys having fun? Here we go. Yeah. Last one. Question number three. Which famous Craig was ranked 21 of WordPress's 100 best American comic book artists? Is it A, Craig from Friday, B, Johnny Craig, or C, Craig T. Nelson? Mm. <laughs> well, this is a real, this is a head scratcher we got here, our ants. And of all the famous Craigs, think about all the famous Craigs out there. Yeah. Uh, Craig T. Nelson, Daniel yep. Craig, Daniel Craig, Michael Eamon yeah. in the comments. Um, Craig, Craig of the Creek, Craig, Craig Kinnear. <laughs> a? No, Zim it's answers. B. Ooh, it's B. He was kids were t- or her kids were talking in uh, their crazy ear. Kids, um, so I think we can give it to Zen Man. Yeah. Zen Man gets Zen it. Man. Congratulations. Zen Man, you've gotten a $25 gift card to Midtown Comics. You, <laughs> oh my gosh. Michael, you uh, get definitely getting it right away. Yeah, shoot us an email and we will get it out to you. Pete, what is the secret movie that you were hinting at? Of course at? we're talking about the 1988 banger action Jackson. Oh, okay. Taking huh. it all the way back. As we all know, new comic books are coming out all the time. DC Comics come out today, but everything else comes out tomorrow. What are you guys looking forward to that's coming out in stores or already out in stores? Pete? Mm. Ooh, I tell you, uh, stuff that's already out. Birds of Prey number six. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Suicide Squad Kill Arkham Asylum number one. And then mm. I'm really and, and you're going to be, by the way, when are you streaming that on Twitch? Like you're playing yeah. Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League. I know. Like. And then I'm also looking forward to Star Wars Mace Windu number one. Mm. Mace to the face. People. Yeah. Oh, um, also, I David, David Cruz is correct. Uh, the call is awesome. The call is also excellent and also coming out tomorrow. I'm going to shout out two books that I really enjoyed. Um, Crave number three from Image Comics. Oh, I love wow. it. And I've been loving this series. Um, it's just striding the line between just great sort of uh, thriller and uh, very sexy comic book, like really just smartly made and uh, love the tone of it. And then X-Men number 31. I've been, the fall of X stuff is weird and wooly. And I love the sort of issue by issue stories that are being told in a lot of these books. And Jerry Dugan has a great the Duke. story coming tomorrow that I'm really excited to see, uh, to read. Lots of great stuff coming out this week. I want to echo The Call, which has been one of my favorite series yes, over the past couple Loving of months. It. Love The Call. So good from... 
uh, Kelly Thompson and Matea de Luis. Gorgeous, gorgeous book. I will also give a shout out to Beneath the Trees where nobody sees. Oh, new you issue um, coming out. You, I meant to say. Oh my God. From IDW, it's Dexter with adorable murder, Richard Scary you. characters. Oh God. Loving this book. Andrew Cranky, we had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. He's finishing up Bloodrick. That book is should have talked to him about well. it. I wish we had instead of yeah. what did we talk to his grocery list? Was that what we talked about? He just he yeah. listed his groceries. And He's getting a last... lot of waffles, a shocking amount of waffles. Yes. Uh, last one that I'm going to give a shout out to that I was very intrigued by, just based on title alone: Godzilla Valentine's Day Special. Oh man, from IDW. Good, good title. I don't know. I mean, Intriguing. that guy, who deserves love more than Godzilla? Uh, I just want to see him and Mothra get together. That's my slash fiction. I'm not 100% sure. Wow, anyway, man. that is it for this week's show. What a couple people we want to thank, though he had tech issues, and I hope he is safe with floods. Want to give a shout out to Bob Fingerman. We'll see you next week. Business here, and we'll see him next week. Uh, but you can check that out on Zoop now. Nate Powell. We're talking about fall through oh, out man. now from Abrams Books next week. As mentioned, Bob Fingerman is going to be on the show. But we also have a packed one with Jonathan Marks, Baravecchia, and Sean Lewis to talk about their new book, Bear Pirate Viking Queen. And yeah. back on the show to talk about Kill Your Darlings heading into the second arc. We got Griffin Sheridan, Ethan Smith, and Bob Quinn, the whole team from that title. Comic Book Club News, our daily news podcast rolling out every single morning. Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast, doing a bunch of news podcasts, but Madam Web coming up. Madam Web, right? Yes, I'm in. Uh, Sons of a Gun, our DC podcast. Valentine's Day for some reason. Oh my God, ditching my wife, can't wait. Sons of a Gun, our DC podcast coming out weekly with news as well. Patreon.com slash comic book club to support the show and all the shows we do. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Android, Spotify, or the app of your choice at Comic Book Live on Twitter slash X Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, Lazy Live on Top Rulé! Yeah, Mardi Gras next Tuesday. Let's go. Woo-hoo.